This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. Yes, a brand spanking new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we don't have much time for an intro because this show is full. We are grateful and thankful that you joined us wherever you are listening. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, send it to your friend if they like women's basketball. Because we love women's basketball. So, uh, Tarika, we have a lot to get into. And I know what you're going to tell me. I need to stop talking. So, (laughs) this week on the show, we have Michelle Vopel. You know how much we love the great Michelle Vopel. Not just because of her writing, but just her insight. Anytime we can bring a voice to Michelle Vopel, we want to do that. So we did. We also had on the show the Northwestern superstar. That's right. If you have been living in a hole, the Wildcats are Big Ten co-champs along with the Maryland Terrapins. Joe McEwen's team won a Big Ten championship. So we have their junior guard and star, Lindsey Pulliam, on the show to talk about how they have just been dominating the Big Ten, which is pretty dope. We also have Jarita Crump on the show, who is one of the few women who is coaching men's college basketball right now. She's doing it at the Division II level in the CIAA. Tarika, you are just a huge fan of Jarita's, right? I really am. I know she coaches for my rival, Shaw University, but she is and at one point coached for my alma mater, St. Augustine's University. So it was great to have her on the show to represent. Which I always thought was St. Augustine's. So I'm glad y'all cleared that up for me. Yes. Uh, we need to clear that up. And last but not least, we also have Sylvia Crawley on the show, who you may know her name from her time at BC as a head coach or a national championship at the University of North Carolina. But she is on our show to talk about how she is honoring her brother's legacy with philanthropic endeavors and also with her talent in fashion she is very talented and last but not least we are starting a new segment and it has something to do with debbie antonelli so make sure you listen to the fourth quarter because we're going to tell you all about it Tariqa, did i forget anything before you tell me to shut up because we've got to get into the show well the only thing that we need to do is make sure that we tell our listeners that because it is march madness and we know how much they love women's basketball to Take a little moment to check out the men's side with the courtside podcast with Greenberg and Dockage. You can find their podcast wherever you find this podcast. Right now, they're talking about Champ Week just like we are, and uh, we're excited about that. So make sure you check them out as you are gearing up for March Madness. As always, make sure you tweet us at Around the Rim Pod. I am at LaChina Robinson. Tarika is at She Knows Sports underscore. With that, let's head into the first quarter. <laughs> First quarter. All right, basketball fans, we have a big treat for you because whenever this next guest comes on, we all get a lot smarter about what's happening on the landscape of women's basketball. Please join us in welcoming uh, ESPNW women's basketball, both college and WNBA writer, the great Michelle Vopel to the show. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks for China. Well, so much to talk about with you, and you are all-knowing and all-encompassing, and I will probably say this a few times during our conversation, but listeners, if you're not 
keeping up with Michelle's articles, you should be because she's writing about everything that's happening in the landscape of women's basketball. But we did not get to talk to you quite yet one on one about this crazy WNBA free agency. So much has happened. So much is still happening. There's still some questions out there. Uh, for our listeners, we've talked about some of the bigger moves, the Angel McCautries, the Christy Tollivers, the Skylar Diggins-Smith, um, you know, Dewana Bonner, Courtney Williams making the move to Atlanta. But the moves continue to happen, whether that's Shakina Strickland going to the Atlanta Dream, um, Stephanie Dolson extending her contract with the Sky along with Courtney Vandersloo. I mean, there's just news coming left and right every way that you turn. Michelle, I'm just curious – from your standpoint, who is winning free agency so far? I like what uh, the Sparks have done. And it's interesting because obviously they had a big shakeup um, with Penny Toller, who had been with the franchise in one form or another since it started. And with some of the difficulty of how last season ended, there was, um, there was a real feeling of uncertainty, I think, about the Sparks and how they were going to move forward. Um, Elena Beard retired. She's one of their, obviously, veteran presences. But I feel like what they did was say, we have a a window here um, with Candace Parker um, now. She'll be at 34 in in April. So we have a window where we want to try to capitalize on how many great players we have together, but there is some age concern with, with some of that. And I feel like what they did was they, they brought in, obviously, in bringing in somebody like a Christy Tolliver, who is also an older player. They, they wanted to have veteran championship experience. And, and of course, Christy had won a championship with them um, before she won last year with Washington. So they wanted to have that veteran championship experience. And I think kind of a, a, a feeling like maybe we're going to have a locker room and we're going to have a group that isn't going to fracture. And we saw them fracture for a variety of reasons, I think, last year during the playoffs. So I would say I like what they did. Uh, getting Dewana Bonner, obviously, is huge for Connecticut. But losing um, Courtney Williams and losing Shakina Strickland, that worries me some for the Sun. Because I do think both of those players brought a lot of things. Um, Strickland, I, I just think she's such, she's such a good perimeter defender. She's so... She's a big guard. Um, she did a lot of things you don't necessarily always – I mean, you do with China because you notice this stuff, but people may not always notice all the things that a, a player like Shakina Strickland brings, but I think that you notice it when she's not there. So that worries me some, and, and Courtney Williams brought her own edge. That worries me some. Atlanta Dream, I feel like, just said, hey, we're remaking our franchise. It, it can't get much worse <laughs> than it was last year, so let's remake it and – talk about the future and be preparing for the future. So those three really have stood out to me. And then I guess you got to mention Dallas because Dallas now has all these first-round picks. And we don't know exactly what that franchise is going to look like. I think there's still a lot of chips left to fall in terms of what the wings are going to look like for 2020 and going forward. Yeah, there were a lot of moving draft picks, which put some pressure on the future of college basketball, I guess I would say, uh, to produce the kind of talent that's going to make those picks valuable. 
But um, I totally agree with everything on the landscape. And it's interesting that you can talk about a team like Atlanta and no one is saying that they're a top contender for a championship with the move that they made. But they were good moves that will help them the next year and the next year um, because the gap is greater, Michelle. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel, but I, I, the haves and have nots as far as what they're calling the super teams of, you know, those organizations that have either multiple MVPs or MB, finals MVPs and MVP like like Washington or, you know, just it, there are Vegas. <laughs> like, how did Vegas sign Lindsey Allen? I mean, I'm like, do they still have any room to do anything <laughs> on their roster? So it, it's going to be um, interesting to watch. And then something else to keep your eye on. And, and I like your thoughts on this. You know, I don't know that we've ever seen as much of this play out in public as we have. And I, I would like to know how you think that's related to the new CBA. I mean, the whole Courtney Williams thing with the Connecticut Sun played out on Twitter. Uh, you know, Courtney and Christy Tolver felt like they were lowballed in their initial offers from their teams. Um, and, and so we're learning kind of what we knew there would be a, different challenges for GMs now. And in this phase of the CBA, because of the pay structure, did that stand out to you at all? Yeah, it really did. And I think there's a it's a sort of a bit of a complicated um, series of things that happened um, that that led to that. Obviously, the CBA, I think we're also relieved to get the CBA because we've been through years before where the CBA doesn't happen until later. And so I think there was a, just a general sense of relief in January. It was done. Um, there was labor peace. There was a lot that seemed good out of it. But then you see how different management reacts to this. Like uh, Ava Wallace from the Washington Post, she does such a great job with the with the Mystics among some of her other beats because uh, she covers a lot a lot of things for them and does it really well. She she had some quotes from Mike Tebow that I thought were interesting because he was kind of saying, hey. This all sounds good, but it's, is it going to cause an issue where you have you don't have a team with as many stars on it as say the um, you know the Lynx dynasty? You know, Mike is sort of a little bit more like, hey, this is going to cause people in the um, you know you're going to have a team with a lot of really really good players, and then and then more the lower end of players and the middle class maybe in a little bit of trouble. And also trying to put together, as you said, a quote-unquote super team. That may be an issue. So he approached it that way. Then you see other GMs who maybe have just a slightly different viewpoint than him. And and I think that's interesting, LaChina, because you know this just from conversations with GMs when they're off the record. They all do have different personalities and different, you know, like risk assessment different ideas on talent and that's what makes it so interesting is they all don't have a cookie cutter approach to how this is going to work um and it and a lot of times it reflects their individual personalities you know how they approach um putting a a team together mention um las vegas that's that's a really good team to talk about because people are looking at them and saying boy they have a lot of good parts but how do those all fit together you know is that going to be a team where the, the the unity is what it needs to be. And it might, because we just don't know. But that's that's a question um, going forward. And then lastly, I do think players are much more likely now to speak out. They have Twitter and they have Instagram and different, you know, means of speaking out uh, in a way that wasn't the case 
um, not even that long ago. So you're going to get more information that quote-unquote leaks out about negotiations. I don't think the league likes that, and I don't think the fans like that. Right. But it's definitely happening. Well, and the truth of the matter is, Michelle, and for good reason, not everyone's making Max anymore. So right. for everyone that thinks they should be making Max uh, and isn't close to it or not happy with you know the negotiation process, because the negotiation process is different than what it probably had been in past years where – GMs have to come in and try to say, okay, can I get this for the low low? You know, you got to be careful who you do that with. But if you can save a couple dollars here and there, or you do have a roster where you're trying to save some player the next year and the next year. And that's the other thing fans have to consider is it's not just about what you have on this year's roster, but a team like LA where look how many players they have to resign next year, you know? And so what do you do with that money and those, and the timing on those contracts and all of that is just. Very interesting to watch all that kind of change and shift. Now, we've talked about the movement of draft picks, and that leads me into my next question for you. Big announcement um, since we last had an episode from Satu Sabli of Oregon saying that she is foregoing her final season of eligibility and will enter the WNBA draft. How do you see that impacting the draft? She's a great talent, I think. She's going to go two or three. Um, the one thing, and uh, and we'll just have to see, is if Dallas doesn't want to risk losing a local product than Lauren Cox because they have the number two pick. If I, I know how much they talked about wanting her, but that was before um, Sabali was, you know, was had declared for the draft. So does that change anything? Do they do they say, hey, you know? Satu is just too good of a talent. I think we all just assume that New York is going to go with uh, Satu's teammate, Sabrina Inescu. And then, Lachine, I think there's two players that, that you know, of the draft-eligible juniors, which there are quite a few, either they're redshirt or because of their birthdays, are, are eligible. There's two in particular that I think would, would be first-round picks, and that's Kennedy Carter and Ari McDonald. So we don't know yet. Those two haven't announced that they're coming forward. If they do, I, that changes the first round. Those are both two guards that are, you know, bring a lot of quickness and a lot of scoring ability um, into the league. And, and I think they would, like I said, both be uh, first-round picks. So there's definitely going to be um, some, some big talent, I think, um, in the first round, but we don't know yet just how much. Uh, if if those players are going to come um, into the draft or if they're going to wait another year. Which is a more exciting time for us. I mean, you know, you listen to what Satu Sabli talked about, and, and this is how I think it trickles down, Michelle, is like this. You know, Satu talked about her family and how her family had been living in, in dire situations in terms of their lack of resources and finances. and how they were living several people to a room and she looked forward to being able to help her family financially. And one thing I think will come from the new CBA and some of this movement with overseas is the WNBA is going to be able to keep some of the top players in market in the off season, which means there's going to be more trickle down or more money available overseas. Right? So if you start to take, you know, some of the more prominent WNBA players and say, Hey, with this, with this off-season marketing money, we're going to pay you this. And not to say that it'll be comparable to overseas contracts, but it may be enough to keep them home because many of them do want to stay home for whatever reasons, get a break. Then, you know, maybe someone like Asatu Sabli, who would be very attractive, 
for an international roster because she's from Germany. She doesn't count against your number of Americans. She has a WNBA stamp. Gets paid a little bit more money than she would, right? And so she moves up a tier. And, and so it's not just, I mean, the rookie salary has gotten better. Not that much that may change a prospect's mind on coming out early. But I do think because of all of the movement, there could be more trickle-down effect where we will see more juniors declaring for the WNBA draft. And Kennedy Carter, she's an incredible talent, right? Like we sometimes wonder about her character-wise um, and if she is ready for the next step of the WNBA in terms of some of that and maturity. But her game is legit, and no doubt, and I've and I've talked to some GMs and head coaches in the WNBA who feel like, I mean, she is top three worthy in terms of what she can do on the basketball court. But whether she's ready or not, you know, we'll see. But I do think it's exciting that we have more players declaring, and for whatever reasons, their own decision. We like for you to stay four years, but if you want to go to the WNBA, Michelle, I think we're fine with that, right? I, I believe every young, you know young woman has to make the best decision for her circumstances, and and the, and the truth is that you know we don't know everybody's circumstance. We we really I, I agree with you 100. percent Is um, you know people need to do what's best for them, for their life, for their financial um, life, but that's different. You know, you look at somebody like Sabrina. A lot of a lot of people thought she would go early last year. But it, it sure has been good for her. I mean, think of how much more attention, honestly, that she's gotten this year even than last year. Uh, just the, what she was able to do with, you know, you know, the, the 2K, 1K, 1K and, and everything. So it worked out for her. But I think Satu made a, a decision that will work out for her. I, I think you put it perfectly. Every Everybody's going to have a little bit different take on this based on their individual circumstances. And I just, I respect whatever decision they make because it's, it's in their life. And, you know, they, they have, they know best, I think, most of the time what's going to work the best for them. Yeah, and we'll get, we're getting ready to actually get into Sabrina right now. But I did want to say, if I was talking just basketball, and, you know, not considering any of the things Satu has to consider, which was a very difficult situation for her because her, she didn't want to leave her sister. I mean, there was a lot she had going on. But basketball-wise, I would love for her to stay another year. I just think, and we talked a little bit to, tell, to Kelly Graves about this, you know, her pick-and-roll game is really starting to get there. Um, I don't think she's at the full usage of what she could be with a year with Sabrina gone, with all the onus being on her, with her having to be the player on that team and what that does for your maturity, especially as you get ready to enter a league like the WNBA, I think it would do nothing but help her. She would also be much like Sabrina um, on the radar for a national player of the year. Not that much of a favorite, obviously, but the kind of attention that she would get, as you mentioned, uh, I, next year for Satu would be very different without Ruthie and Sabrina. But so basketball wise, I, I do wish she would stay because I think she could be a Dewana Bonner type player at the next level, I don't think she is as skilled yet as Dewana was because she has a different role than Dewana had at Auburn. And, you know, what she was expected to do as the player on that team. So roles are very different. But um, basketball-wise, that would be my wish if Satu stayed one more year. Um, so really quickly, you talked about Sabrina Ionescu and, and goodness, you know, what a day. 2 24 You and I were both at Stanford. 
Um, we'll start this conversation with a quick clip from Sabrina and talking about um, her day. Sabrina, that may have been the first time that I saw you smile all day. What did Coach Gray share with you and your team? I mean, he just said uh, no words. That, that's all he said. Um, but this win and, and how we played tonight showed a lot of grit. And so uh, really proud of this team win and, and what we did tonight. You have had a very challenging 24 hours coming from L.A., having helped memorialize Kobe Bryant this morning and turn around to lead your team tonight. What was the hardest part of this day for you? I mean, everything. Um, you know, you kind of try and hide some of those emotions until you get there in Staples Center and they all come back to you. And so being able to speak at, at such uh, was such an honor for me and being able to hear everyone speak. And, um, you know, I tried to do everything I could to, to try and hold it together tonight. And, and my team helped me a lot do that, doing that. Not only did you have the 26th triple-double of your career, but you also became the first player in NCAA history to amass 2,000 points, 1,000 assists, and 1,000 rebounds. What does that mean to you? I mean, that one was for him. Uh, to do it on 2-24-20 is huge. We talked about it in the preseason. Um, I can't really put that into words, and he, he's looking down and really proud of me and uh, just just really happy for, for this moment with my team. Thank you so much, Sabrina. Congratulations. Thank you. So, Michelle, there, there's so much to digest when it comes to Sabrina, and fans probably already know I think the world of her. Like, I, I have I have never covered a player on the college level like her. You covered Diana Taurasi. I was, not going to say how old I was, but I was still close to being college age around the time when she played. But she is one player that comes to mind when I think about Sabrina in terms of her competitiveness and her mental her mentality towards the game and her drive and her will to be a winner. And we saw that on full display on 2-24-20 as she went from eulogizing her friend Kobe Bryant and also her friend Gigi Bryant at, at a memorial at, at Staples Center, flying to Stanford, playing against a top five team in the country, notching her 26th triple-double, and also becoming the first player, man or woman, in NCAA history to get 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 1,000 assists, all while having the flu and not eating all day. How did you put that into perspective? Because I don't think I still can. I think, you know, Lachana, you played college basketball, so you know this on a, on a firsthand basis. It's actually really hard to go into a game – and have anything on your mind other than what you are going to have to do in that game. And that's even just against a, an, an average opponent. I mean, reality is that for, for you as a, as a Division One college basketball player, it, you have to have your mindset on, okay, this is what we're doing here. This is what I need to accomplish. And it's hard when that's all you're thinking about. Add in all the things you just said that are in the back of her mind, um, or in the front of her mind, if you will, to, to process all of those things and still come up with that performance goes to something her dad told me a couple days beforehand when they were at Cal and I had a chance to talk to uh, him before the game. And he said she has this ability to focus. I don't know where she got it because he's like, I don't, I don't have that ability quite like she does. And it used to surprise me, but it doesn't anymore because she just keeps doing it. I 
I think that was one of the more impressive things I've I've ever seen. I, I think back to Jackie Stiles back in 2001 when Jackie needed 20 points to become the all-time leading scorer at that time. She's since been passed. But the game was at Missouri State. They were bringing in the former record holder. Uh, they flew her in with her son. They printed out these little certificates that said, I was there the day Jackie Stiles broke the record. That's all before she's done it, right? Like, she comes into the game knowing, okay, they just handed out 10,000 certificates to people saying, I was there, they, they, you know, sent a private plane to get this player and bring her in. Everybody in the world thinks that I have to score 20 points tonight. It's not the easiest thing in the world to score 20 points in, in any game. And this was a tough game against a tough Creighton team. She scored 30. And I thought of that that night watching Sabrina. It reminded me of being in Springfield watching Jackie. When everybody is hoping that you get this, everybody except Stanford, of course, is hoping. Everybody wanted it to happen that night for Sabrina. But only one person can make it happen. And she's the one who did it. It was. It really was impressive. And I feel really lucky that I, I got a chance to be in person at both of those. Unbelievable. I mean, I, I lucked up because Holly Rowe had something else going on and I had to fill on sideline. I can't tell you how on edge I was. I mean, we were at shoot around, hovered around a computer, watching her give that speech, watching Diana Taurasi give a speech at Staples Center, seeing the emotion, seeing the impact of that day, listening to her relationship with Kobe and her talk about that. And then she's right in front of us. So just trying to put all of that into perspective, even Oregon, and I thought Satu responded so well, but they that team wanted to win for her. And I, I just, I don't know, that's one of the most amazing individual performance I've ever seen in person, emotionally, physically, historically, across the board. Just incredible. So I do have ahead. to give you a shout-out, LaChina, because – Sabrina was ill, and she wasn't able to come to the post-game press conference. So your interview of her is the defining interview of that moment. You're the one that got, that got her afterwards. So big shout-out to you because I thought it was very uh, – it was respectful, it was kind, it was emotional, and it, it caught the essence of the whole thing. Because I think all of us that day – I know you were. I was crying during oh, that, yeah. that whole uh, service, and I'm sure the emotion she felt – that entire day or, or even magnified being there. And then you shared that moment with her afterwards. Is It was really cool. I mean, I just thought you did a great job with that. And that, like I said, was the definitive remarks from her um, came from that interview. So, so kudos to you on that. Well, I definitely appreciate that. Only God knows how I ended up getting that assignment. Thanks to Pat Lowry, our coordinating <laughs> producer. But the other thing, I mean, Adam's great. Rebecca's great. They all supported me coming in because I was like, what am I going to do? I'm not a sideline reporter. And thank God for also our producer, Carrie Callahan and Holly Rowe, who I was texting right up until that interview because I wanted to make sure I was asking the right questions. And Holly's such a great teammate that she was at her own game helping me make sure that I could get my thoughts straight because I was emotional. And I didn't want to ask her something that was going to offend her, but I wanted to make sure we could tell the story. So I appreciate that. But it was so much more than me. But I, I will also say that I have been in Oregon the last <laughs> the last three um, NCAA tournament. So I've spent in Oregon and Portland and Spokane. So I've spent a lot of time with Oregon women's basketball. So I, I would hope that 
you know, Sabrina would trust that I, I was definitely not trying to push her beyond her limits. And when she looked over and said, yes, she would do the interview, I was like, just I'll always be grateful for that moment because they definitely were going to give her an opportunity and understandably to say, no, she didn't want to do it. But hearing from her, I think for all of us was a moment of relief because she was OK. And um that was that will be a moment I'll always remember. So thank you for that. Before we let you go, Michelle, uh, I just want to ask, we've got conference tournaments coming up the next couple weeks. Four of the big five will happen this week and then next week will be big 12. Is there any one particular conference tournament you have your eyes on that you think could change the landscape of either the field of the NCAA tournament or seating or just, hey, I, I, we should keep our eyes on this developing situation? I want to say um, the Big Ten because I I I think right now if um, you know Maryland could be the the other number one seed I think that's what Charlie Cream has been um, leaning toward so you know if the Terps win the Big Ten I think they hold on to that but you know you pointed out the China and you're correct that Northwestern's a team that just you know, hasn't gotten the limelight that, that they probably deserve. And maybe they surprised everybody a little bit at, at just how good they were. Um, bottom line is they're really good. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Wildcats play in the in the Big Ten tournament. It'll be interesting to see how Rutgers, you know, they're one of those teams that um, can be very scary to play um, in, in the postseason. So I'm interested in that in that tournament because I do think it could affect – that last, uh, that last, you know, number one seed, and then obviously we're all going to be interested in the Pac-12 just because that conference has been so ultra competitive, and you know we've had some some big upsets just yesterday having uh you know having Cal Sunday uh, having Cal beat Arizona after Arizona had beat Stanford, so I think those are two that I'm really interested in because I do think the results of those are going to, you know, can have some, some real impact in seeding. I, I don't want to say the ACC and SEC and Big 12 won't, but I do think the favorites in ACC, SEC, and Big 12 are, are fairly strong. Um, now, NC State folks and, and other ACC folks will say, hold on a second, but uh, I do think Louisville goes in with the ACC as, as the favorite and and certainly South Carolina and and, uh, and Baylor go in as big favorites in, in their respective tournaments. Yeah, it, uh, listen, I'm with you on Louisville, especially the way they ended the season with kind of punching Boston College and Virginia Tech just for the heck of it. Uh, you know, especially on with Dana Evans and Elizabeth Balagoon on limited minutes and not playing against Boston College. I just thought it was a great showing for them to end the season against two teams in the top half of the ACC, you know, with that kind of performance. Um, Just so fans know, Michelle, Graham Hayes, Charlie Cream are all doing great stuff on the ESPN uh, women's basketball site. And if you have not checked out, Graham Hayes did a write-up on who the um, MVP, I guess you can say, or the player of the year will be in each conference, um, what to watch out for, uh, in March, the reveal, so many things. So make sure you're keeping up with all that they are writing and keeping us up with the speed on. Anything else, Michelle, that we should be on the lookout for or folks may want to check out? Um, you no, know, I think I think this week is one of 
my favorite weeks. I just love the conference tournaments, and it's funny, LaChina, because not all coaches do. <laughs> right. Kim, Kim Mulkey really doesn't like conference tournaments. She, yeah. she doesn't like them <laughs> at all. But I think for the rest of us, it's that last time to see some teams. You know, we're, we're some teams, and, and this year of all sort of strange things, Notre Dame is one of those teams we'll probably see for the last time in the conference tournament. But it, it's cool to see that. There's always a little bit of bittersweet feeling because there's always some seniors who think, oh, man, this is this kind of it for them. But there's also almost always there's a, an upset or two that is just really exciting. It kind of whets your appetite for the NCAA tournament. So I almost, I'll be honest with you, I almost enjoy conference tournaments more than the NCAA tournament. <laughs> NCAA is like, that's the end. You know, when people lose, and I'm, I admit I'm one of those people that I, I feel so bad for, for kids when they lose. The conference tournament can be that, but it's also a little bit like, you know, like I said, it's like the dress rehearsal, if you will, for, uh, for the NCAA tournament. And so I just I enjoy it a lot, and um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I also just love having so many games on, you know, from, yes. Wednesday, from Wednesday on. Let the fun begin. Thank you so much, Michelle Vopel, for your time and your expertise and your insight and your commitment to covering our game. We will be following you uh, right on through the WNBA draft. So let's have fun these next six six weeks. (laughs) You bet. Second quarter. Player's perspective. All right, basketball fans. Well, if you are active on Twitter, you will know that I'm active on Twitter, at LaChina Robinson, if you have something to say. And one of the things that I had to say recently was about the co-champions of the Big Ten. And that's because, to me, they have not been getting the love that they deserve all over the place. Because we should all be following this great story of the Northwestern Wildcats and their Big Ten championship that they're sharing with Maryland. And just the amazing rise by Joe McEwen's team to stardom. And definitely a team we'll have our eyes on as we now are turning the page to March. I am grateful to have one of the stars of that Northwestern team with us on the podcast. Join me in welcoming junior guard Lindsay Pulliam. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Of course, of course. (laughs) The name Lindsay Pulliam is not one that very many people have heard, at least not enough, in my opinion. Lindsay, tell us a little bit about how you started playing the game of basketball. Um, I, I probably started when I was about six, maybe, and I uh, used to play in a developmental league with a bunch of guys on Sundays. And I would go and I would uh, kill all the guys in there, and eventually the uh, coach that was running the developmental league told my parents like hey I think it's time for her to go get into AAU and finally my it took a little while and then my parents were finally like all right I think it's I think it's time for her to do this because um she's passionate about it and I started playing AAU um and then I kind of just got my love from the for the game there now where did you start off your AAU time did you play for the same team the entire time no so I um my sixth and seventh grade year, I played for the Maryland Flames, and then I moved to Team Takeover because it it was the Maryland Flames turned out to be not as competitive, and I knew that I wanted to play in college and go beyond college. So my dad was like, "Time to go to a new program." So I played for uh, Team Takeover up until um, my last year in high school. Then I went to the Fairfax Stars for my last year at AAU. And I had to ask that question because you know I'm from the DMV. 
Okay, yeah, so yeah. you're from Silver Spring. You went to Our Lady of Good Counsel, a school I'm very familiar with. I went to T.C. Williams in Northern Virginia, but we used to play at McNamara. We used to play at Suitland. And, girl, I know all about the DMV. And, see, I don't even know. My AAU team was the Vogues. So we have fallen okay. off a little bit since I played. But <laughs> oh, you, guys, you guys used to be good. We, we used to play that all the time. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. But I do know about Team Takeover and how, you know, that whole movement has happened. So respect, you know, I got the DMV tweets from the Fairfax Stars and everybody as soon as I start talking about you. But DMV girls basketball is very much alive and well. I just want people to know that. So yeah, sure. what made you choose Northwestern? Um. I think for me, at first for me, I, I wasn't even thinking about Northwestern. I wanted to stay closer to home, and my mom was telling me, like, look, I think you should really go on this visit. I think it will be a really good school. So I was fighting her for a while, and then I finally came on my visit, and I got to hang out with the girls and the coaches and talk to our athletic director now. And I kind of just got this family family vibe here, and I, and I knew that I wanted to go to a program and change the program and change the culture of it. Um, and then obviously go to a great academic school. So it, it kind of turned out to be a no-brainer once I got on campus and saw the school. Now you're playing for another DMV legend in Joe McEwen because he is a DMV legend, but I, I know of Joe, and he really made his major mark at GW um, yep. as the head women's basketball coach there. What has it been like playing for, for Coach McEwen? He's a, he's an awesome guy in my mind, in my book, but as a player playing for him, what's that been like? It, it's been great. And my, my family has known Coach for a long time because my aunt used, uh, still works at GW. So he's known me since I've been, since I was little. So it's been awesome playing for him. And, um, you know, it, it's been a blessing because I, I don't know, besides my parents and my family and, um, I don't know another person that believes in me as much as he does. So it, it's been amazing uh, learning the game from him these past three years. Oh, that's a great feeling and great to hear. Now, you're a junior, um, yep. and you are averaging, as of this information of stats we got, uh, 19 points per game um, and five rebounds per game, both career high. The other thing that you're doing well is shooting the three. You only had, my math, 20 three three pointers coming into this season as of right now you have 42 and you're shooting it at 35 percent from long range which is almost double what you have done uh what you did last year that has changed the way teams have to guard you because you do have that long range weapon but how would you describe your your specialty on the court or your style of play um i'd say like my go-to i'm pretty much known for my pull-up so that's definitely something that I pride myself on and something that I work on a lot. Um, so definitely I'd say just from my just being lethal from the mid range. And uh yes, I've heard the comparisons to Kayla McBride, which has one yeah. of the most memorable <laughs> mid ranges I've seen. And I was fortunate enough to call your game at Duke, so yeah. I knew all this. And I knew that you were a real one when you gave me the following quote about Cameron Indoor Stadium. You said, just another gym, brighter lights. And I knew we were getting ready to see a show. And your team did walk off from a, with a victory at Duke. And that was one of the many wins that you guys have gotten this season. Now it's you. There's Abby Scheid, who's a great three-point shooter. Abby Wolf, um, who is really upped her post game this year. Veronica Burton. What has been the key ingredient to your team having championship success this year? 
I think just um, everybody being able to contribute. Uh, and, I, you know, if I have a bad game, I know somebody else is going to pick up whatever I whatever I didn't bring that day. Or if somebody else is off, then I know that I'm going to pick up whatever they, they didn't have that day. So just being able to um, fire on all cylinders has really been key for us. And I think just uh, know, being able to trust each other and knowing that everybody's going to bring bring whatever they got that day to the table. And the Big Ten has got, I mean, you guys have a lot of talent and a lot of depth. We were actually just talking to Michelle Vopel, and she was saying, like, okay, the Big Ten's depth is crazy. So going into the tournament, it's going to be interesting to watch with all the great players. You're somebody who is up for um, player of the year in the conference. But what is the most, what's been the most challenging part of playing in the ten, Big Ten this year? Um, I think you can't take any game lightly. So just going in uh, day in and day out, knowing that you have to take every game seriously and you know that you're going to get everybody's best every night. Cannot take a night off. I mean, it has been wild to watch. I mean, even just yesterday, I think Rutgers beat Iowa. Um, You know, and and Rutgers has been there and been competitive, but it's like Ohio State has had some wins when you're like, what just happened? (laughs) So it has been interesting. Now, the one thing about your program that um, I thought about today was you guys have faced a lot of adversity over the last few years from losing a teammate, obviously the, the, the... the ups and downs of, of that and, and handling a tragedy of that magnitude. But how have some of the challenges you guys faced maybe propelled you to how well you're playing right now? Yeah, um, I think like our senior class now and our junior class, we tell our uh, freshmen and sophomores all the time, uh, you have you guys have no idea. We've been through it all for you guys now, and they, they've had the, e- the easy road right now because nobody knows we were, in a high, we were playing in a high school gym my freshman year. And we were absolute. We weren't good at all. We're losing. We're playing in different um, facilities for practice every day, and it was it was rough. And and then going into last year, we go we go to the WNIT, and I think um, also just losing in that championship game kind of fueled us coming into this year. And that's kind of how we we've built the program the past few years, just continuing to have that chip on our shoulder, and that we, we knew that we were we're always going to be overlooked. So just. I think these past few years has definitely led up to our success now. It just speaks volumes. And now you have a beautiful sparkling facility. And, you know, sometimes you have to go through those valleys to get to the high points. Well, Lindsay, we are excited to watch Northwestern basketball and for you guys to be on the big stage and see all that you will do in March. What is one thing you would want people? Oh, let me ask you this first. I told, I told okay. a good friend that I would ask you about this question. You told me that your dad um, changed your shot and uh-huh. you, you thank him for that every day. And then you also worked with, with one of your assistant coaches, I believe in the off season um, on your three point shot, which was helpful. What, what has your shot development been like? Um, and you getting it uh-huh. to where you kind of want it to be. Yeah, I think definitely this past summer has been really, really important for me because I knew if I if I want to accomplish what I want to accomplish, then I had to get my three ball uh, way better than what it has been the past two years. So definitely just putting a, a ton of hours and a ton of shots up on my three this summer was key for me and kind of making it harder for uh, other teams to play us and they have to respect me from three. So definitely just focusing on my three-point shot this summer. Has uh, really changed my game. 
And shout out to Coach Preston Reed on that. Um, I love Tangela Smith. She's one of my favorites. You guys have a great staff. But I did uh, yeah. tell a friend, I said, I'm going to ask about that question because I was wondering <laughs> about your what you did to get your three-point shot, where it is. So what is yeah. what is the one thing you would want people to know about Northwestern women's basketball? Um, I... I think that we just we have a lot of grit and and we love that people overlook us and um don't really count us in and I think that that really makes us the team we are so we're going to continue to have that chip on our shoulder going into the Big 10 tournament and going into the NCAA tournament and I just say um if you're anybody else to look out for us I love it. I've always loved the confidence you have going back to that conversation we had at Duke. I will be in Indianapolis on Saturday. So you better okay. win until All I right. get there. So that I, I can watch you. Then I'll be called the championship Sunday. So I would love to see you there. Uh, Lindsay, yeah. thank you. We appreciate your time and congratulations, co champs of the Big Ten. Go Wildcats. Thank you for having me. Third quarter, Coach's Corner. All right, basketball fans. Well, you know, here on Around the Rim, we do our best to. Highlight not only women making move in women's basketball, but just basketball in general, because, you know, our mantra here is that basketball is basketball. And with the many women who are transitioning into coaching men's, we wanted to take some time uh, to highlight someone that we think is doing some great work with the Shaw University men's basketball team. So joining us on the show today, we have Coach Jarita Crump. Coach Crump, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. Absolutely. Now, I know that uh, you just recently are coming off of the CIAA tournament. So I know it's been a busy, busy, busy weekend for you. But just give us a little bit of background as far as how you got into to basketball and, and your playing career and what motivated you to get into coaching. Right. Well, my playing career, it really started um, with high school basketball. And I'm, I'm a native of Raleigh, North Carolina started um, at Sanderson High School, was recruited recruited out of um, high school um, to go to Division One Campbell University and um, spent four years there. That was an awesome experience. Um, won a conference championship there and um, advanced to the first round of the NCAA um, where we had to play Duke um, for the first time. That was really great as well. Um, and then, like, after I graduated college, um, I didn't really think that, you know, coaching was going to cross my path, but it really did. I had um, opportunities before um, to, you know, go venture out into coaching, um, but it didn't really form until about 2006 where I had an opportunity to be the varsity girls assistant coach at Word of God um, Christian Academy in Raleigh, North Carolina. And um, I was there for four years. Two out of the four was an assistant coach. Um, the remainder of my time there, I was um, the head coach there. Um, we won um, a state title uh, at Word of God. I think that was the second time, and I think it was like within 25 years of the school being established, um, which was a great opportunity to to go through that experience with those young ladies. Um, once I left Word of God, I, I had, there was an opportunity to uh, move forward from high school to collegiate. Uh, basketball, um, where I received the opportunity as an assistant coach for St. Augustine's University um, in Raleigh. And so I started that position in 2012, and I stayed there till about 2017. Um, was there uh, probably about 
four years, well, three years as an assistant, two years as an interim head um, head coach there. Um, that was a great experience overall because I was able to touch not only just one side of um, basketball regarding like the X's and O's, but it's just a lot in Division Two where you're able to learn so much more as a newcomer, you know, getting into the coaching um, uh, arena. Um, and then I was able to come on board um, as the men's assistant coach um, this year as um, uh, 2019 um, as the first uh, men's assistant coach um, at Shaw. So it has been nothing but um, amazing. It's been an awesome experience. Um, have learned a lot along the way. Jarita, just listening to your story is so inspirational because we played, right? Like we played college mm-hmm. level basketball, and then sometimes you don't know what's next, so you coach on the women's side. But what was some of the feedback you got coming into this season when you said, hey, I, I want to coach the men, or however that opportunity came about, if you want to share that? And then, you know, what were the responses to it? Right. Well, you know, I was two years removed from from basketball altogether. I actually was um, volunteering because I have a 16-year-old daughter. So I was volunteering as her assistant coach for the summer (laughs) with um, their AAU team. And um, I got a phone call one evening from the men's head coach, uh, the former men's head coach, Joe Hopkins. Um, He knew me, you know, um, because of the – because of the CIAA and the conference play um, against one another, he knew of me within the conference. And um, he called me up and just was like, what, what are your thoughts on this? Um, would you be open? Would you be interested in actually coming on board um, as the men's assistant basketball coach? So I took a couple of days and, you know, processed it a little bit, see if my schedule could accommodate um, the basketball schedule, um, and just decided to go for it. You know, I thought it was an awesome opportunity, great experience. I knew um, I'm, I'm, that more opportunities will come about um, through it. Um, once I joined the staff at uh, Shaw University, I got so much love, you know, so much feedback from, you know, not only the women's side but the men's side. Um, you know, the CIAA is just a close family um, all together on the men's and women's side of it. So everyone knew about the the transition that I was making. And um, I just got positive feedback from, from everyone about how excited they were, welcoming me back into the CLAA conference, excited to see me back, you know, on the sidelines, but thought it was just an awesome experience, I mean, an awesome time for me to be on the men's. They thought it was just so, so great. Coach Crump, what were some of the players' reactions or how were they receptive um, to you once you walked on the campus of Shaw University? Uh, Were there (laughs) any challenges as far as uh, taking directions or just anywhere? Were there any challenges with the players? You know, my first week, you know, on the job regarding like on the court, you know, things, you know, when they first brought me on, it was probably about October. So we had about a week or so, if that before we went into, um, you know, practice, in-season practice. And so they were able to briefly, you know, know about me. But then when it got to practice time, you know, I was introduced as their assistant coach. You know, you saw expressions on their face, you know, in the beginning because I really – because I was mainly the first female assistant coach that some of them um, have ever had um, in their, their playing career. 
And so, you know, that was a barrier that I had to, you know, break and not allow that to intimidate me, um, but also just allowed me to regroup. Because in the beginning, it was a little nervous because I was like, you know, I don't know why I was nervous, but because I've been coaching, you know, coaching in general for over 10 years, a decade. And so I just had to regroup and say, you know what, these are players. You know, it doesn't matter about gender. I know the game as well as anybody else beside me. So I'm going to have to treat them as I, you know, treat my other, my former players. And so once I stepped into the practice um, with that confidence and and it just kind of exude out of me and they kind of realized like, oh, she knows what she's talking about. She's very knowledgeable about the game. I'm a big teacher of the game too. Um, so when we could have those conversations, um, using the same language um, that they would use too in it, it was it pretty much just took off. I mean, they were very uh, receptive. They received me with, with uh, welcome arms, and um, and you you can tell when you have gotten a, a player's attention because of the the questions that they may ask, or you know, or they make the the responses that they they give back to you once you finish you know coaching them. So I could tell that I, I had gained their trust. Um, I could tell that they were learning something, and from their response, I could tell that, you know, they believed in me and that, you know, they didn't. They looked past my gender and looked at and saw me as their coach. I know that, and I want to give a quick shout-out to Jackie McWilliams, who was the first woman in yes. CIAA history to be a men's assistant. She was at Virginia Union. I love Jackie. Amazing person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there will be more that come after you. And I I guess our our last question for you would be, what would you want to tell the young women that are coming after you that want to coach men's basketball about how it's different, about how to Mm -hmm. handle the process, about what you've learned? What would be your thoughts to someone that wants to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, I, I really think the the biggest thing he, there is confidence. With anything, the biggest thing you have to to do is have it to bring that confidence with you. Yes, you definitely have to be knowledgeable about the sport, but once you gain that experience, like I said, I've been t- I've been coaching um, for about twelve to thirteen years. So, and I've cr- I've coached across the age brackets, right? Elementary to middle school to high school to to college. Um, so once you gain that experience and and also stay a student of the game, um, but once you do that, it's all about the confidence that you bring. It's about the knowledge that you know, and that kind of exudes the confidence that you need to be able to st- step out and be bold enough to take on the challenges um, and, and be, be able to handle maybe just the discomfort, too, that may come with that, especially when you're trying to break down barriers and, and break down the limits of, of people's perceptions. It's all about changing per, this perception of limits. And, and I really hope that, you know, the opportunity that I have been able to receive, um, many more behind me will be able to, to do the same thing, if not more. Well, you are an inspiration to all of us, and we are sure that the term trailblazer means that you're blazing a trail that others will follow. And you're a trailblazer, so we know that there will be many other young women following your footsteps to coach men's basketball. And it just gave us great delight to have you on our show, especially finishing up Black History Month. 
We are mm-hmm. so proud of you, girl. Absolutely. And come back anytime well, and talk you. with us, okay? I certainly will. Thank you so much. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. Okay, basketball fans, now we are going to talk about where basketball meets fashion meets philanthropy. And with that, I want to invite in one of not only my good friends, but a woman who has contributed to the game of basketball in several angles and has gone on to do just amazing things, some of which I hope to be a part of, meaning I want to wear some of her clothes one day. But (laughs) join me in welcoming in um, former Tar Heel great, former head coach of Boston College, um, Sylvia Crawley to our show. Welcome in, Sylvia. Thank you, China. Thank you for having me. Now, those titles have nothing to do with the amazing work that you are currently doing as the chief operating officer of Crawley's Creation um, with fashion and interior design front and center. Tell us a little bit about what you are doing right now in this phase of your career. With China, I am doing the most right now. So I started an interior and fashion design company, and it started out as interior decorating because I'm currently enrolled in school at New York Art Institute for fashion design. And so um, I make, you know, interior, I'm sorry, for interior designing, not fashion designing. And so I make interior decorating very affordable for the average consumer because I reupholster the couches you already have or the chairs that you already have. I make cornice boards to match it. You know, I can make a custom headboard and just lay out your whole bedroom with a bed skirt to match it. And so because I can make it in-house, it makes it more affordable for people, you know, to get a interior decorator. But if you can sew, like if you can do that stuff, like people who can sew can do pretty much everything, you know. So it just made sense to do fashion as well. Like I started making earrings and necklaces. And once I got out of coaching, um, I have free time and free space in my mind to create. It is very hard to be creative when when you have a thousand and one things on your plate, you know. And so once my mind got free, I, you know, people would just inbox me and say, you should make this. You should make that. I was like, wait a minute, y'all can't make everything. <laughs> so um, so that was that was how the fashion part of it was birthed. So everything is under Crawley's Creation LLC. That's the, that's the empire. But within that, so Crawley's Creation is interior decorating. Crawley's Collection is the fashion part of it, and Crawley's Conversation is the motivational speaking, which I've done since my days of playing at Carolina. So that that never ends. Like, I'm always requested to come and speak at banquets, and um, I just did a youth expo at my church about identity. So um, all of those three things are streamed under one big empire of Crawley's Creation. And um, all of it is consulting, actually. <laughs> so that's kind of how, you know, for tax purposes, how I lump it all up. It's all done through consulting. So it's just, I, I just, I had, okay, I started this in June of last year. And my goal was, you know, it takes about a year to kind of get things going and get it kicked off. So I said, okay, next year this time I'll do a launch party. And I'll launch both the interior and fashion side. So I will have, like, my couches that are patchworked 
and you know, like reupholstered by me and chairs along the runway, and then I'll have skirts and dresses to match those couches. Like you know, like my my mind just goes beyond. Like I think so big. So that was the vision. So I had this idea of how I thought it was going to launch. I was going to announce the launch date and the countdown and. Well, honey, the, the the company has launched. <laughs> it has not happened the way I wanted it to go. Um, God has let me know to write my um, plans in pencil. Like, definitely write it down and make it plain, and I've done that. I've got vision boards. I'm manifesting things over here into my life. Um, but I have to write it in pencil because I have erased things like five times. So... Um, the interior decorating, um, the cat got out the bag because I did a craft night with my girlfriends, and we made some wreaths, and we put Christmas balls on there with a lady's face, and we called it a diva wreath, and I posted all of our wreaths. Well, people started, like, inboxing me, cash apping me. They wanted one for Christmas. And I was like, wait a minute, this is mine. <laughs> this is just for me and my friends. So um, I started making wreaths. And so I started putting my tags. I was like, i got to have tags. i got to have labels. I ordered all my supplies and sent out so many wreaths. I had wreaths coming out my out of my ears, right? So um, then the next project was I wanted to do a bow tie collection in honor of my brother. And that's kind of where we are today. And I wanted to launch it for Black History Month, like just release it and let people know that it's available during Black History Month, um, just as a way to educate people about who he was, because he was an amazing man. And I'm biased because he's my brother, but he still was incredible. Um, and he got he got overshadowed by me and my sister because we're the talkative ones, but he was very shy, and he was like Batman. He was kind of behind the scenes, but a very powerful force, you know. And so it keeps his torch lit. Um, I've partnered with some very um, good companies, Be The Match and American Cancer Society. Once they heard about it, I sent them my brother's movie. They made a movie about his life when he passed away. And they saw the movie and was just moved. And so they called me and was like, hey, we want to schedule a meeting. So they partnered with me, and we have coaches all across the country wearing bow ties, and Be The Match has a representative show up at their game. And then they make an announcement for the fans to be tested because um, we want to bring awareness to the fact that African-Americans have a hard time finding a match because we have mixed genetic tissue. So, for example, most Italians marry Italians. And so if their kids need a bone marrow transplant, somebody in the family is a match. Most Africans, not all, but most Africans marry Africans. And so they need a bone marrow transplant, they can find one, and so on and so on with most um, races. But African-Americans in particularly, because we were exploited as slaves and taken away and carried to different places, we have so much mixed genetic tissue in us that it's hard to find a match. And that was the case. My brother had one bone marrow transplant, which was successful, and it prolonged his life for six years. His cancer went into remission. He started a family, had two kids. And so um, then when it came back, it came back more aggressively. He needed another bone marrow transplant, which you can only have two in your lifetime. So he had to finish his chemotherapy in order to get the bone marrow transplant, and he ended up passing away. Um, during his last round of chemo before a match was ever found. So I'm very passionate about this. This is very near and dear to my heart. 
and Be The Match, you know, is has jumped on board because my brother was a board member for Be The Match, very active with helping them um, target African Americans in particularly. So we want to raise awareness to this because most people don't know that. And if people knew that, that it was hard to find matches for African Americans, I think more African Americans would be tested so that they could possibly save a life like we wanted someone to do for my brother. So... Um, and then a portion of the proceeds will go towards cancer research, and that's where um, the American Cancer Society comes in. So I'm very excited about it. People have jumped on board. We we kind of kicked it off for coaches because coaches have such a big sphere of influence with media, and they're at the games with lots of fans. And so, you know, we knew it would get a lot of exposure that way. But other people, as I said, you know, even if you're not a coach, feel free to order a bow tie. And people from all over the country, California, people I don't even know. I was thinking, like, most of my friends will probably support this, but there's a lot of people, like, I don't even recognize the name. So I'm very excited about how it's taken off. In just two weeks, I, I introduced this the midway midway through February, and in just two weeks it's, ex, it's exploded. <laughs> That is just amazing um, what you're doing, not only using your natural talents and abilities and something that you are enjoying doing as a, as a passion and as a career now and coupling that with a way to honor your brother and to bring awareness and then also bringing that to the game of basketball. I, I did see the release from uh, Robert Morris that said that, um, they would be participating and wearing one of those beautiful bow ties um, and bringing awareness to your brother's life, who, you know, Dr. Crawley, your brother, um, was a communications professor and assistant dean at Robert Morris for the School of Communication and, and Information System. Um, but to see people actually, and there was a picture I know you sent me with some coaches that were wearing their bows. It just, first of all, they're, they're beautiful creations, the Rex Collection, but to see them actually wearing it on the sidelines, I know Tim and Rutgers and a couple guys I recognized, uh, I could see this growing. How can people support what you're doing moving forward? Um, it's actually on Etsy. Um, I, I'm in the process of getting a website, but it's very complicated because all of the three entities that I told you about. But um, but Etsy has really worked out well from a business side even um, for me because it just kind of collects all the data that you need to get your taxes done. <laughs> so even when I get my website, I'm still going to kind of string things through Etsy. But um, my Etsy page is called Crawley's Creation. And you and that's um, how you can find me on everything. So on Facebook, it's Crawley's Creation. Crawley's with an S, Creation with no S at the end. And I'm on Instagram and um, also on Facebook and Pinterest. Awesome. But Etsy awesome. is where you can purchase you can purchase the bow ties right there. So fans, please support an amazing cause and it's just a beautiful story and how it's come full circle and how you're honoring your brother. Sylvia, you have a gift. I go to your Instagram and you post things that you've made and I'm like, can I get that in my size? So it's just <laughs> great to watch someone who, I mean, won a national championship as a player, has, has played at the highest levels, but have, has also found success in every sense of the word after the game of basketball and everything that you're doing. So keep on shining. Uh, we appreciate your time and for coming on our show. And, uh, when you're ready to sing, 
me a little something, something to wear on camera, I am right here, okay? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. All right, LaChina. So we want to thank Sylvia Crawley once again for joining us. I think that we should announce what the new segment that you alluded to at the top of the show. Let's do that. Hashtag Ask Antonelli. We need to have like a little bling that happens. After we do. I, say that. I need to find some sound. I'm going to yes. find some sound for you, Debbie. Don't worry Please about it. Please do. We need some sound for Deb. But we wanted to have more fan interaction on Around the Rim. And no better way to do that but to bring in the expert of all experts. And that is one Debbie Antonelli, who you will be able to call a line, leave your question for Debbie, and she will answer it on our podcast. It is 860-368-0060. That is the number. If you have any burning questions around March Madness, conference tournaments, NCAA seeding, players of the year, X and O's, screens, drags, uh, ball screen action, <laughs> uh, anything around <laughs> basketball, you can ask Zebby Antonelli and your question may be featured on our podcast. So call that number, leave us a message with your question for Debbie, and you may be on the show. We're excited. Hashtag Ask Antonelli. Uh, I think that's it for us today, LaChina. We had a heck of a show. We did. Very full. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can also email us at aroundtherimpodcast at gmail.com. That's it. I'm done talking. We are out of here, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.